death in our path. We were sinful sons of wrath, following a crooked road. We were lost and wandering souls. We couldn't choose righteousness. We couldn't save ourselves from death. The God of grace, rich in love, gave us life with Jesus. By his grace, by his grace, we are saved. It's not by works or by words, but by faith in Jesus' name. We have peace in Jesus Christ. He has brought us to his side and raised us up and gave us life and seated us with him on high. The perfect king, the God of love, adopted us through his own son and brought us in and gave us faith and made us sons and daughters by his grace, by his grace, we are saved. It's not by works or by words, but by faith in Jesus' name. By his grace, by his grace, we are saved. It's not by works or by words, but by faith in Jesus' name. Jesus died to give us life brought from dark into the light. Righteous in the Father's sight by the of Christ. By His grace, by His grace, we are saved. It's not by works or by words, but by faith in Jesus' name. By His grace, by His grace, we are saved. It's not by works or by words, but by faith in Jesus' name. Good morning and welcome, Emmanuel Fellowship Church, whether you are worshiping here in person with us or online. Hello. Good to see you guys. We are glad you chose to celebrate the gospel with us today. A couple things I want to make you guys aware of. First off, if you're visiting with us today, we have a gift for you in the back of the room. There's no pressure there. We would just love for you to have that. There's a mug, there's a book. Grab one of those, grab it. Uh, take, grab one of those and grab it. Grab one of those, take it home. <laughs> Uh, second, man, if, you're, uh, if you've been here a while, if Emmanuel Fellowship is your home and you're wondering what your next step in your faith is, what it looks like for you to get more plugged into growing your faith, we would love to be in that journey with you. Uh, we would invite you to fill out a Connect card. There's these blue cards in the back of the room. If you're like, man, I've been here a while and I'm not part of the email list or I want to join the prayer team or I want to serve or I want to be discipled, whatever that might be, uh, we can help you. That out by filling out this card, or there's a QR code on the back of some of the chairs that you can do a digital version of that. We just, as your pastors, myself, Jim, Craig, Jesse, we want you 
invite you to, to reach out. Let's figure out what God might be calling you to next in your life. Guys, I don't know about you, but I'm going to be 100% for real right now. I came in today with a pretty empty tank. It's been, it's been a rough week at the Snell House, but God is so good. I'm so glad to be here. I'm so glad to celebrate his gospel today as we were singing that song, singing about the grace of Christ. I was reminded of the comforting words of Jesus himself where he says to everyone who's weary, to everyone who is burdened, come to me, take my yoke upon you, learn from me. I am gentle, I am lowly of heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Beloved, regardless of what brought you into this space today, I promise you, Jesus invites you to come to him for real rest, real life, real rejuvenation, real grace, real gospel. So beloved, let's take a few minutes and let's sing about that Jesus. Amen.
Rock 
for my pardon this I see nothing but the blood of Jesus for my cleansing this my plea nothing but the blood of Jesus oh precious is the flow that makes me white as snow no other bound I know nothing but the blood of Jesus this is all my hope and peace nothing but the blood of Jesus this is all my righteousness, nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. No other fount I know, nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is the flow that makes me white as snow no other fount i know nothing but the blood of jesus Precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. No other fountain, no, nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. No other fountain, no, nothing but the blood of Jesus. Jared. My bad, not Jared's. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just come before you and we continue to lift our hearts in praise and thanksgiving. What a great and awesome and wonderful God that you are. And we're just so glad that we can freely gather and we can worship you and we can hear your word preached freely when so many other believers around the world can't do that. Uh, Lord, we pray for Sam this morning as he's confessed a tough week for the Tamal House. And right now we just pray that you'd shower him in your grace, that you'd anoint him and fill him with your spirit. 
Lord, that you prepare him as your vessel to bring forth the message that you've laid on his heart. And for us, Lord, and in our minds and in our hearts, that we would receive that with joy and gladness. Father, we uh, worship you and glorify you, and it's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Good morning, church. My kids locked me out of my iPad about 20 minutes ago, so I got to pull a gym and do this from the laptop today. And somewhere in the room, Craig's going, that's why you printed out. (laughs) (laughs) What a joy to be together today. We are continuing our series in Matthew, and man... I don't know about you guys, our time in missional discourse in Matthew 10 has been pretty heavy. Uh, and to be honest with you guys, not to, uh, not to dash anyone's hopes, uh, but it's not going to get easier today. <laughs> uh, we're still in a section of text that, man, Jesus just has a hard challenge for his church. Uh, and I think it's good for us. I think it's good for us to take our time in this section of scripture and let, let Jesus' words kind of stew on us. Amen? So uh, we're, we're going to get into this. We're in Matthew 10. If you want to go ahead and open your Bibles there. Uh, if you don't have a Bible with you today, we have house Bibles around the room. Just kind of look under the chairs around you. You'll see one eventually. By the way, if you don't have a Bible today, I'd strongly encourage you to uh, take that one home or talk to one of our pastors and let us get you a, a nicer one. We really believe in the importance of access to God's word here at Emmanuel. Um, oh, also, before we jump into this, I am supposed to tell you guys, uh, we have coming up, this, will get, this is in your bulletin, but we have coming up uh, here in just a few weeks, our first and only uh, church family members meeting for the year. That's like the first weekend in December. Listen, guys, listen, listen, listen. <laughs> we have one business meeting a year, okay? <laughs> you got to come to this one, okay? It'll be good. It won't be boring. We'll praise God. We'll share some food together. We'll celebrate what God has done in our church. We'll talk together and pray about what God might be leading our church into in the new year. It's going to be uh, an actual worshipful time. But please set aside time for that if you are at all able to. I think it's that first week in December. All the details are in in the bulletin or online on Next Steps. So today, we're stepping back into this missional discourse, right? This this teaching where Jesus is talking very specifically about what it means for his church to join with him in evangelistic ministry, right? To go and preach and proclaim the gospel. And it seems like a little bit like I'm getting into just announcements territory here. But I have to say this bit also, a really practical next step. Like we've been, we spent several weeks talking about what it means to be on mission. Uh, guys, starting November 25th at our, our uh, adult discipleship hour, 9 to 10 before this, uh, before this gathering, Jim is going to be doing a six-week class on mission and evangelism, and I'd strongly encourage you guys uh, to be a part of that. If you're sitting here going, I don't know, I don't know how I can get to church by 9 a.m., listen, yes, you can, okay? We can talk about it later, but I promise you, I promise you, the world does exist on Sunday mornings early. I know we don't see it most of the time, but it does. 9 to 10, uh, that's starting November 25th, we're finishing up uh, some time and going through the story of Genesis right now, it's been really good, but that'll be done in a few weeks. And after that, uh, Jim's going to take us through a class on evangelism. But today, we're still in Matthew. We're still in the missional discourse. If you recall, this all started at the end of chapter 9. We've been working through these narratives of Jesus' ministry. 
where he's healing people, he's speaking into the real needs of the people who live in the region of Galilee. He is burdened by all the physical and spiritual need around him. In chapter 9, ends with the scene where Jesus asks his followers to pray to God to send workers out into the field, right? You guys remember this piece? He's burdened by all the need around him. And he says, guys, the harvest is plentiful. It is the workers that are few. Pray to the Lord of harvest to send more workers. And then in chapter 10, he begins this teaching on mission and evangelism by calling and sending his 12 apostles to join in the work around Galilee. And there's this cool moment where where it becomes this picture of the broader mission of the followers of Jesus to join in Jesus' work. The discourse shifts from Jesus speaking just to the apostles to speaking to all of the church, here in that, guys, all of us. And Jesus, and as he gets into this teaching of what it looks like for his church here in that us, to join with him in the work of evangelism, of mission, of seeking and saving and serving the lost, there's this really strange shift. Jesus spends a lot of time talking about the danger and the risk of going on mission. You know, following Jesus apparently can have very real consequences for those followers. And he says that we are to be ready for real opposition and real persecution. And guys, this is foreign to a lot of us, right? Like we live in a context and a culture and just a bubble of the Christian experience where we have a whole lot of religious freedom. And the kind of opposition, the kind of persecution that Jesus talks about is just not our normative experience as modern American Christians. But guys, what we're going to see today is that as Jesus continues this pretty big push on like, be ready, be ready for this to be hard, be ready for this to cost you, you're going to see all of this teaching on expecting and processing opposition and persecution come together with a discussion about loving Jesus and seeking the reward of Jesus. Is what we're going to see as we look at this text is that Jesus has zero problem telling his followers to love and value him and his kingdom above all else, everything else, everything, even family. Beloved, the call of the follower of Christ is Jesus above all. Hear that, beloved. All. Jesus is not content to have space in your life or your heart, even if it's prime real estate. He's not content to have part of you. He wants all of you. And as we consider this bold teaching of Jesus, we're going to be drawn back to the reality that you, as a human being made in the image of God, were built for that kingdom. You were built for that kind of life. You were designed for heaven, beloved. Heaven is the reward of the gospel, yes, but it's not somehow selfish or wrong for you to seek that with your all. It's what you were made for. So regardless of what opposition may come from a sinful and rebellious world, Jesus' people seek the kingdom because the kingdom is worth it, beloved. You were made for heaven. You were made with eternity in mind. So 
Pray with me, church. We're going to jump into this difficult and bold teaching of Jesus. And it's, it's intense enough that we're going to walk through it chunk by chunk and digest it as we go through it. So pray with me, and then we'll jump into this. Father, we ask this morning that you would be our guide through the text. Spirit, we need you to be the one to open our spiritually blind eyes and our spiritually deaf ears. We need you to be our guide, our discipler today. Father, as we are challenged by this teaching, first and foremost, because of just some cultural differences and some unique aspects of the time and place within which we live, but even deeper than that, God, just challenged by how intense the call is, I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would speak to us afresh, especially those of us, Jesus, who've been following you for a long time and who have grown really content in our laziness and our apathy and our fence straddling. God, I pray that you would prick us afresh, pick at those old convictions that we have worked so hard to ignore. Invite us again to give you our yes and to seek your kingdom first. Jesus, we need you for this work. We can't do it on our own. So we pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Okay, Matthew 10, we're starting in verse 32. Read with me, church. Therefore, everyone who will acknowledge me before others, I will also acknowledge before him. I will also acknowledge him before my heavenly Father. And whoever denies me before others, I will also deny him before my Father in heaven. Okay. So we're jumping right into the deep end, right? Whoever acknowledges me, I'll acknowledge him before the Father. Whoever denies me, I will deny him before the Father. Woo, okay. We're getting right into it, right? Now notice here, we're starting with a therefore. Yes, Topsy back, what is therefore? Jesus is directly continuing a thought here, right? In, in verses 26 to 31, Jesus has this whole bit, we talked about this last week, about how you shouldn't fear those who oppose the gospel work because the worst they can do is kill you, which is such an insane thing to say, right? But that is what Jesus tells us. Hey, don't worry about anyone who persecutes you or oppresses you. The worst they can do is kill you. And then he goes on to say, I mean, God could send you to hell if you wanted to. If you're gonna be afraid of someone, which is a really strange way to comfort people. And yet that's where Jesus goes with this, right? He says, don't be afraid of your oppressor. They are men and women just like you. The worst they can do is injure you physically. The actual comfort he gives is he says, you're on the side of God. And God controls the whole thing. It's all in his hands, body and spirit. And he supervises the entirety of his reality. Birds don't die without his consent. And he ends it by saying, verse 31, so don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. Don't be afraid, beloved. God is on your side and he is in control. Jesus says not to fear persecution, not to fear suffering, not to fear opposition because you are on the side of God, the king of reality. And that thought is what Jesus is building upon when he says, therefore, because God is on your side, because you don't need to fear persecution, because of that, remember, remember, 
that your acknowledgement of Christ before an unbelieving world will be rewarded. That's what he's saying here. Don't be afraid of how hard it is. God is on your side. So remember, God will reward your proclamation, your boldness. He'll reward it. He'll stand before the Father. Jesus himself, the judge of the living and the dead, the king of reality, he will acknowledge you before God the Father. Guys, Jesus is speaking here an encouragement to his church in the midst of preparing them for the coming tribulations. He says, don't be afraid. Remember that you're standing up for the kingdom of God. And I am standing with you. You stand up for the kingdom, I stand up for you. Jesus will stand before the Father and declare your name, beloved. In Christ, in Christ, you, beloved, will be holy, righteous before God the Father. Jesus in your place. He will acknowledge you. Stand as your advocate. What an encouragement. Now, Obviously, right, there is a caution and there is a sorrow that is at least as heavy as the encouragement is beautiful, right? The flip side of this amazing encouragement is that those who reject Christ, those who are not in Christ, who choose not to follow him, Jesus will deny them before the Father. To be apart from Christ is to face God the Father on your own merit. And beloved, that is a terrifying prospect terrifying prospect. You need an intercessor. You need someone to stand for you before the Father. To stand in your place when your righteousness is judged. So stand with Christ that he may stand with you. And by the way, like, I'm not just saying this as this abstract theological idea. Beloved, I implore you if you are in this space and you are still considering what to do with this Jesus, please consider him. Please consider him. Consider his heart for you. Consider what he offers you. Seek his kingdom. It is well worth the cost. He will stand and intercede on your behalf and allow his righteousness to be placed over the top of your sinfulness. He's quick to remind us that there is a cost. A beloved The kingdom of God is worth the cost. Well worth the cost. Read on with me. Verse 34, 36. Don't assume that I came to bring peace on earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I came to turn a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. That one we can imagine. And a man's enemies will be the members of his own household. Now, Jesus is quoting, I'm sorry, all the mothers-in-law in in the room. (laughs) You're wonderful, and you are a gift. Jesus is quoting from the prophet Micah here. But the message is pretty clear, right? Standing with Christ means standing against the world. And that means real opposition, even potentially opposition from within your own family. Now, I'm sure, even as we read these words, many of you are wondering, how the heck do these words come out of Jesus' mouth? I mean, is he not the Prince of Peace that Isaiah 9 proclaims? We love to read that text every Christmas. What about Zechariah 9? Didn't he come to bring peace to the nations? Well, yes. 
But there's actually a really important distinction here. You know, Jesus himself in John 14 says he doesn't give peace the way the world gives peace. Jesus' peace is better. So stick with me on this for a second. You know, the world tells us peace is simply the absence of conflict, right? The absence of violence and opposition. And by the way, that isn't a bad thing. In fact, it's most times actively a good thing. We should all be praying to God for peace in our world right now. Peace in places like Israel and Palestine, peace in the Ukraine, peace in North Korea, peace in all the places where violence and injustice are sadly the norm. We should be praying to those ends and seeking those ends. But the peace of Jesus is simply more than that. It's more than just the absence of conflict. The peace of Christ is the presence of the shalom of Christ. It's the presence of redemption. It's the presence of holiness and forgiveness and unity and connection and restoration. It's not just an absence of conflict. It's a beautiful vision of heaven. The peace that Jesus is bringing is heaven peace. It's God and man together for eternity peace. It's wonderful. But you have to understand that is not the peace of this world. Our world is full of rebellion, evil, sin, betrayal, selfishness, and sorrow. And guys, hear this. The present shalom of God will not create an absence of conflict. Far from it. In a rebellious and sinful and broken world full of betrayal, selfishness, and sorrow, the present shalom of God will create loathsome conflict. It will create the kind of conflict that divides the most intimate relationships. Do not be deceived, beloved. Sin is crafty. The curse has deep roots. Those who you love most can reject Christ and reject the gospel and as a result, reject you. Do not think that Satan and death will go quietly into hell. Now don't mishear me, beloved. They will go. Read Revelation. Get to the end, the good part. Christ himself with the sword coming out of his mouth will cast Satan, death, and the curse itself into the fiery pit and they will be eternally destroyed. That is worth celebrating. That is worth anticipating. But don't think they will go quietly. They will bite and squirm and squeal and fight to the very bitter end. And if you say yes to following Jesus, you can expect to be on the receiving end of those death throes. This is deeply sorrowful when this translates down to those we love so dearly. This is painful and heavy when those death throes step out of this idea of abstract, beautiful theology in our anticipation of forever and they stare us in the face with someone we love who's rejected Christ and as a result rejected us. That pain is real. That pain is heavy. That's why Jesus is so kind to warn us. We should consider the real cost of following Jesus. Look how he continues our text in verse 37. 
The one who loves a father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. The one who loves a son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever doesn't take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. For anyone who finds his life will lose it, and anyone who loses his life because of me will find it. Guys, it's a very real possibility that faithfulness to Christ can divide your family. It's a very real possibility that those whom you love will say no to Jesus. And while they may not like openly hate you or physically attack you in our culture, they will not understand your devotion to Christ. And they will likely think less of you. And you will find that it affects your relationship. Some of you already know this. Children, grandchildren, siblings, spouses who don't follow Jesus like you do. It's real and it's painful. But beloved, this is where the rubber hits the road. I'm about to speak out loud one of the most difficult gospel teachings of Christ that many of us will hear. But it is necessary, it is important for us. Beloved, Jesus is still worth it. That's it. That's the teaching. In spite of the cost, Christ is still worth it. Beloved, Jesus is worth it even if it divides relationships in your family. Even if that sibling drifts away from you relationally, even if that grandchild rolls their eyes when you speak to them, even if you decide not to date or marry that person because your lives are going in different directions, beloved, Christ is still worth it. He is. Beloved, Jesus is simply not content to compete for your affection. Many of us think that what Jesus expects of us relationally is for us to, to order our relationships by level of affection and loyalty and just make sure that Jesus is at the top of the list, right? As long as God is number one, you're good. I know a pastor said it like this. If our heart is a chest of drawers, we just need to make sure that Jesus is the top drawer, right? But the reality is this doesn't work. Christ is not content to be one among many of your relationships. Even if you put him first. Beloved, Christ wants all of you. He wants your whole life. He doesn't want to be your top drawer. He wants to be the chest you put the other drawers in. He wants all of you. He wants you to consider and order all your relationships within the context of him. He wants you to consider and order your relationships with the gospel as a lens for how you think about them, how you think about your place in the kingdom. Beloved, Christ above all, Christ in all, Christ through all. Hear me, church. Anything less than that is simply not following Jesus the way he defines it. It isn't. Beloved, hear this. You cannot follow Jesus on your own terms. You can't. I promise you many have tried. None have succeeded. Can we, be, can we just like, can we be real for a second? You're like, uh, wait, were we not being real up to this point? I promise you guys, the rich young ruler was more godly than all of you and me combined. <laughs> Look at what he says. He followed the whole law from his youth into adulthood. He did everything he was supposed to do. 
But he left Jesus disappointed. He wanted to have Jesus and his idolatry of his wealth and his comfort. He wanted to follow Christ on his own terms and say, Christ, I'll give you this, 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 and this. Now you just give me this and this in return. And that is not how it works. It is not how Christ interacts with us. He's not sitting with you ready to wheel and deal and come to define the terms of your relationship. Beloved, Christ defines the terms of your relationship. He is your creator and your God and your authority. He deserves and demands all of you. He invites you to give him your yes. Just your yes. And then to walk forward with faithful expectation. Take up your cross and follow him. Because we have so sanitized this sentiment from Jesus as to almost making it meaningless. Oh, that's just my cross to bear. Something we say when we're referring to an inconvenience or a trial in our life, right? No, guys, that's not what it means. A cross to bear is a humiliating, torturous public execution. A cross to bear is to be stripped down and beaten within an inch of your life, cast into the street, naked and bleeding, and forced to carry your own instrument of death in front of your home community so that your abuser can literally nail it to you and invite everyone around to come watch you slowly suffocate in your own blood. That is a cross to bear. That's gross, I know. You have to understand when Jesus said this line to his followers, it had no religious or spiritual connotations the way we think of it. People didn't wear cross necklaces in Galilee. It was a symbol of Roman oppression. It was a symbol of brutal death. It was a reference to horror. And Jesus tells his followers, give me your yes and join me there. Beloved, to follow Jesus on his own terms, not yours, is to simply give him your complete and total yes. Nothing held back. Nothing of your own. No scheming, no wheeling, no dealing. Simply, yes, Jesus. And then taking the step to follow him. And beloved, that is a huge ask. That is no light thing. That is no small thing. It's very big. And guys, this ask from Jesus, this complete and total, give me everything. Don't be mistaken, this is a gift. The extremity of Christ's request to you is a gift because it shows, it, shows, it shines a spotlight on exactly what our idols are. <laughs> Let's be honest, guys. Many of us, dare I say most of us, are following Jesus for a lot of wrong reasons. You come to church because you were raised to. You connect at church because you're lonely and you find community here. You show up because you feel good when you feel smart, when you figure out right doctrine and how to understand the Bible better. There are many reasons, but I'm here to tell you guys, there is only one reason that is actually worth it. When you look at what it costs to follow Christ, to give your yes, there is only one reason to do so that will actually sustain you through hardship and trial 
and suffering. There is only one reason who is willing to stand before God the Father on your behalf. His name is Jesus. And beloved, he is worth your all. He is worth your complete and total yes. You may find a whole lot of joy and comfort in this life. You may figure out the secret of how to succeed by all our cultural standards. You may be beautiful and rich and comfortable the rest of your life. But if you get all that and you miss Jesus, you have lost everything. Hear this, beloved. If you have the best this life has to offer and you miss Jesus, you have lost your forever. You've lost your forever. But with Christ, with Christ, even if you lose everything this world has to offer, even if you lose your very life, you have Christ. And beloved, if you have Christ and nothing else, you have everything. If you have Jesus and nothing else, you have everything. Read on with me, verses 40 through 42. The one who welcomes you and the one who welcomes you welcomes me. The one who welcomes me welcomes him who sent me. Anyone who welcomes a prophet because he's a prophet will receive a prophet's reward. Anyone who welcomes a righteous person because he's righteous will receive a righteous person's reward. And anyone who gives even a cup of cold water to one of these little ones because he is a disciple, truly I tell you, he will never lose his reward. Jesus ends this teaching on mission with this bit about reward in his kingdom. And he says, it's kind of, he says it kind of strangely, right? There's kind of this back and forth repeating phrases, like kind of almost like he's saying it proverbially, right? But there's something here that's really important for us. Notice in the way Jesus says this, the prophet, the righteous, the little one, they all get the same reward in Christ. This phrase, by the way, little one, it kind of means toddler. <laughs> it's a weird little phrase. But it's a term that Jesus affectionately uses to refer to his followers, his little ones, those who come to him. And, and the way he says it is kind of like, yeah, you're really bad at following me, <laughs> but you're great. I love you. I welcome you. You bring about as much to the table as a two-year-old, but I'm glad you're here. <laughs> I love that, by the way. In Christ, we're small we're needy. But we get the same reward as the prophets and the righteous. In Christ, we don't bring much to the table, but we get Jesus. We get forever. We get heaven. Beloved, heaven is the promise. It is the promise. You must remember the reward. You must consider the reward. And don't be fooled here by our culture. We have this weird idea that, that, that altruism is only inherently good if it's done for no reward, right? If you do good and get rewarded, well, it's just selfish. You were just doing it to get something. You have to be disinterestedly detached from your righteous deeds in order for them to matter. And that can be true, right? You know, we watch a YouTube video of a guy giving food to a homeless person just for views and likes, and it kind of turns our stomachs. But guys, this idea simply does not apply to heaven. It doesn't. 
And it's important to grasp this. So you have to remember, you were built for heaven. It's what God made you for. You were designed for it. Think of it this way. If you get a new car, it will be a better car if you drive it on roads versus lakes. Yeah? I don't know if anyone here has any experience driving your car on lakes. But the vast majority of cars don't perform all that well if you drive them down into the lake. Right? It's a silly way to say it, but it's true because cars were made for roads. So you sync them up with their design, and sure enough, they perform better. That doesn't make them bad cars or selfish cars because they prefer the road to the lake. It just means they were designed for roads, not lakes. I know like three of you in the room are like, actually, there was a car designed to drive on lakes. It's a terrible car. You, beloved, were designed for heaven. When God made you, when he put you together, when he designed your heart, your mind, your passions, your gifts, your strengths, your weaknesses, he had eternity in mind. You're made for heaven, not this cursed and broken world. You were made for eternal peace and joy with Christ. Of course you long for it. Of course you desire it. Of course, you should seek it. You should seek this reward. Of course, you should direct your life toward this reward. That isn't selfish. That isn't prideful. That's you moving toward your design. You were made for heaven, and you will most flourish in heaven. The reward is so important, and it's so good for your life of faith to be motivated by the reward. The gospel says cross now, crown later. And beloved, the crown is important. You should seek it. You were made for it. You were made for it. You know, Jesus' words here, like if you're just in your Bible reading plan and you come along Matthew 10 and it's like 7 a.m. and you're only a half a cup of coffee into your day and you just read this, like his words can sound really harsh on a first reading. He seems so intent on focusing in on suffering and trial and loss. He makes it sound so hard to follow him and he speaks so intensely about you know, denying folks and folks not being worthy of him and family hating each other. It's no wonder why most people who initially followed Jesus left him, right? No wonder. It's no wonder, by the way, that even John the Baptist doubted the gospel plan when he faced the trials and hardships of this life. Jim's going to take us into that next week. Jesus puts this sermon directly into application by showing John the Baptist in the midst of his trials, in the midst of his suffering. And you know what he does when he faces the worst this world has to offer? He crumbles. And he doubts. And he doesn't know and he's not sure. Because like all of us, he's a human being full of brokenness and sinfulness. And it's hard. It's hard to walk the road, to be a disciple. It's no wonder that most folk who initially followed Jesus left him. Jesus spoke in intense and strange ways. But guys, he does so to draw our attention to the reality of the gospel. Beloved, you have to remember that apart from Christ, we are spiritually blind. We are so steeped in the world that the kingdom, the thing we were actually made for, seems foreign to us. 
It seems like a major loss to suffer in this world, to potentially have family dislike us. It feels wrong for Jesus to want to love us, to love him supremely, even above family. But guys, that is exactly why Jesus speaks so intently, so intensely. He's trying to shake you awake. He's trying to remind you, you weren't made for this cursed world. You weren't made for this brokenness. You think you were, because it's all you know. You don't know any different. And so Jesus speaks intensely and harshly and says, no, listen, you were made for more. You were made for better. You were made for something greater. Jesus wants forever for you. He wants forgiveness for you. He wants restoration for you. He wants you to have his gospel. He wants you to find your real life. Because the gospel is nuts. That's why the scripture teaches that the people outside of Christ, it sounds crazy. It sounds offensive. It's nuts. But man, it's wonderful. What a gift. What a God who seeks us out and shakes the scales from our eyes and draws us back to his original design for us in spite of our hard and rebellious hearts. Beloved, as we land out today, I want you to be challenged. Right? I, didn't, I, didn't, I didn't sit down and plan out like, oh, what are we going to preach in November? Let's just be mean for a couple Sundays. Like That wasn't the plan. <laughs> We're just going through Matthew. And these are the words of Christ. And beloved, I think these are the words of, the, of Christ for us today. So let them challenge you. Let Jesus' stark words hit you square in the chest. Sit with the difficulty of this teaching. With the intensity of this challenge. And allow it to draw you back to the gospel. Allow Christ to shake your eyes open and remember that, beloved, Jesus is worth your yes. He's worth your yes. So as we land today, Chris, if you want to come back up. As we land today, what do you do with a punch-in-the-face text like today's? I'm going to give you three thoughts and then invite you to sit and pray for a few minutes before we take communion. Three thoughts. The first one is this. If you've not given Jesus your yes and found salvation and life in him, I already said this, but I'll say it again. I urge you to consider it. And by the way, I do mean consider it. Consider the cost because there is one. Jesus wants your whole heart and your whole life, and I'm confident, confident that as you consider the gospel, you'll find that it's worth it that your heart actually longs for your creator. If you're in the space and you haven't given Jesus your yes, please, 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 consider him afresh. Consider what it means to say yes to him today. If you're in this space and you're in Christ, man, can we all just admit that we need to be convicted by this teaching afresh? We all have idols. We all have loves that draw us away from Jesus. Every single one of us spend our lives struggling with our old self, with our old desires. Beloved, hear Jesus' invitation afresh today. Come to him with a brand new yes, with some fresh repentance. I promise you, you will find grace plenty.
You'll find your Jesus with open arms, gentle and lowly, joyfully awaiting your repentance and your return. Beloved, there is enough grace to go around. Come back to him today. Give him your yes all over again. See what he does with you. And lastly, because this is the missional discourse, even though we've just been talking about suffering, proclaim Jesus. Proclaim the gospel. Share this amazing news. Because the world, the curse, they stack against people's hearts. People will not believe if no one comes to them and declares the goodness of Jesus. And that will cost you to give Christ that yes. To go into your sphere of influence, your circle of influence, your friends, your family, your co-workers, your neighbors, and actually be the one who boldly says there is a God and he loves you and he wants to fix everything broken in you. It's a costly thing to share. But this is what it is to follow Jesus. To take the grace you've been given and give it to others. There's too much for you to hold it in. There's too much goodness in Christ for it to terminate on you. And you know that's true. Think of the cloud of witnesses, the saints who come before you. Think of those who faithfully gave Christ their yes, who counted the cost, who joined Christ in the work, and whose faithful proclamation cleared the way to shake the scales off your eyes that you might come to know There is a line of brothers and sisters who came before you who said yes to Christ, who paid the cost. And if they were standing here in this room, they would say, oh, it is so worth it. Join with them. Join in that bold proclamation. So, beloved, I'm going to invite us, as we always do, let's take a few minutes to pray. I'm going to invite you to sit in this space, meet with Christ in the way your heart needs. If you can do that just sitting in your chair, that's awesome you want to get on your knees, at your chair, the steps, if you want to find some space to be alone with Christ, I invite you to do that. If you want to grab one of our pastors to pray with you, we're around the room. We are for you. We'd love to help put language and stuff with you and pray with you. If you want to grab a card in the back, write down a prayer, or even drop it in the box and ask our prayer team to pray over it, or our prayer team to consider, we'd love to do that with you. You can do that during this time. The last thing I want to remind you of, and I've said this each Sunday we've been in the missional discourse, is to consider lostness. Consider those in your life who need Christ. Beloved, I'm so serious. Put pen to paper. Grab your journal, grab your Bible, grab a card, write down the names of the people you love that you long to see come to know Christ. Spend a few minutes today lifting them up before the Father. Do the work your heart needs to do this morning, beloved. In just a minute, I'll come back up and we'll take you.
because the gospel is so good. It's because when we, when we take of the elements, the scripture says that we're proclaiming his death until his return. That by partaking, by experiencing, by remembering, we're proclaiming that Christ's work is sufficient, beloved. Man, especially on a day like today, where I'm guessing a lot of us got punched pretty hard. Can we take a step back and remember that his grace is sufficient? That his work is complete. That there is grace for you. There is room for you with all your faults and failures. The little ones get the same reward as the prophets and the righteous. So if you want to join with us in response by declaring that, I invite you to do so. If you didn't grab elements on the way in, you can just raise your hand. We'll have some come down the aisle for you. Jesus was betrayed. He shared a meal with his closest friends. It was a Passover meal, loaded with all this meaning and all this history, all about God redeeming his people, God intervening in human history, God making a way in the midst of brokenness and sin. And while they're sharing this meal, Christ infused this new showing how even all the way back at the Passover, God has always been pointing to him, to the gospel, the work of Christ. And he took the bread and he passed it and he said, this is my body broken for you, beloved, take me.
there's nothing in this world could ever satisfy through every trial my soul will sing no turning back I've been set free Christ is enough for me Christ is enough for me Everything I need is in you Everything I need Christ my all in all The joy of my salvation And this hope will never fail Heaven is our home Through every storm My soul will sing Jesus is here To God be the glory Christ is enough for me Christ is enough for me Everything I need is in you Everything I need Christ is enough for me Christ is enough for me Everything I need is in you Everything I need I have decided to follow Jesus No turning back, no turning back I have decided to follow Jesus No turning back, no turning back The cross before me, the world behind me No turning back no turning back the cross before me the world behind me no turning back no turning back i have decided to follow jesus no turning back no turning back i have decided to follow jesus no turning back no turning back I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back, no turning back. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back, no turning back. No turning back, no turning back. No turning back, no turning back. church for being with us this morning. Um, I'm going to say something, and I mean this from the bottom of my heart. Thank you for being here this morning. Thank each and every one of you for being here this morning. It means a lot to me, to the pastors, to the church, that you are here this morning. Today is a richer day because you are here today. And if I could go through the church and name each one of you, I would, but there's not time but I mean that. It's a richer experience when you are here today. Thank you for being here this morning. Guys, we all have next steps. And if you visit our website, emmanuelfellowshipstl.org, you're going to click on the next steps tab. You're going to see opportunities to take those next steps. 
Uh, and I hope that you do visit that often to see what our church offers for you in your next steps. Could be something small, could be something quite large. Uh, I'm going to mention two that are also in the bulletin that are on the hospitality table if you want to grab one of those on your way out. Um, if you are a part of our church, if you consider this your church home, if you go to work tomorrow and somebody says, hey, what church are you a part of? And you say Emmanuel Fellowship, then our membership class that's coming up on November 19th is for you. That is something that you should come to and be a part of and learn what the Bible says about church membership because it's in there. And we would love for you to come and be a part of that on November 19th from 6 p.m. to 8.30 p.m. Dinner is provided. We would love for you to come. There is a sign-up sheet on the hospitality table as well as on the website. Please consider that if you consider this your church home on November 19th from 6 to 8.30 p.m. The second thing I want to mention is there are some colorful boxes in the back. That is for Operation Christmas Child. Many of you have taken those, and I think all of us know what that program is about. It's an opportunity for those to be filled with good things to be sent to a foreign mission field to bless children that are in need. Those are due back here next Sunday, November 12th. So if you would bring those back, filled up, uh, so that we can take those and take them uh, to the place they need to get to, um, please consider doing grabbing a box and bringing that back next week. Um, as we are, before I pronounce our benediction this morning from Psalm 46, this is, I think, a little different one, but in light of what Sam preached today, and, you know, inherent in every message, there are next steps. Sam mentioned three of them. Right? If you've never said yes to Jesus, consider that. The second one was be convicted by this and say yes to him all again. And the third was to proclaim Jesus. Proclaim the gospel as you leave here today. But there's one thing I want to encourage you to do. And this is our benediction. And this is something that I think whether, where you, wherever you sit on that spectrum of those three, here's what Psalm 46 says. Be still and know that I am God. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted on the earth. The Lord of armies is with you. The God of Jacob is your stronghold. Guys, have a wonderful day. It's a beautiful day. Have a great day, a great week, and Lord willing, we'll see you back here next Sunday.